Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Kind of a special episode tonight. It's our uh, Caleb Ross Extravaganza Spectacular, apparently. We're going to talk about two books um, recently released by Caleb J. Ross, booked alumnus himself. Um, and then, really exciting, we're going to cast our vote for the um, Out of Bullets Throw the Gun collection. I'm very excited about. All right, a little bit about Caleb Ross to kick things off. Caleb is an author of literary grotesque and noir fiction dealing with domestic themes. His fiction and nonfiction has appeared widely both online and in print. He is the author of Charactered Pieces, uh, Stranger Will, As a Machine and Parts, and I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin. He is an editor at Outsider Writers Collective and moderates the Velvet Podcast, which gathers writers for roundtable discussions on literature. We're going to start off with talking about I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin I'll give you the synopsis from Amazon, of course. Jackson Jacoby is a motherless 22-year-old boy with only the support of his crazy ex-military Uncle Marv and a kindred motherless peer named Craig. Craig holds fast to the hope of one day reuniting with his mother while Jackson maintains that his own life is so much better off without all the baggage that comes along with being somebody's son. After finding a plea in a newspaper from a woman begging her runaway son, Kevin Masons, to return home, Jackson takes the opportunity to prove to Craig that a mother is not necessary to be happy. What begins as a drunken call to the mysterious mother leads to a cross-country pilgrimage to attend the will reading of Kevin's recently deceased grandfather. Along the way, Jackson spreads tales of his participation in the human appendage trade, the history of his missing ear, and anything else that might validate his life the way he insists that a mother never could. So even in the synopsis, you're getting the feeling that this story is going to be a little bit weird or, or a little bit um, unusual, um, and it, it doesn't fail to deliver in that in that regard. Uh, like like the synopsis says, Jackson does a lot of talking and storytelling, and he tells these kind of outlandish, but they sound kind of true stories of of yeah, uh, people stealing body parts and people to sell in these roadside attraction style. Uh, like body part museums and stuff like that. So it, it, there's a lot of really weird stuff, weird action going on in the story. Yeah, it's um, going to be a little hard to talk about this book because it is it is a little quirky and weird, and we obviously don't want to give too much away. But um, the one thing I want to comment on is, uh, yes, the stories that, that Jackson tells, um, not only are, are the not only are the stories semi-believable, but it's just Caleb does a wonderful job of, putting the people listening to the stories into that mode where they don't believe them, but then they kind of get sucked in by them as I think we did as, or at least as I did as a reader too. The more I read these stories, the more I was buying into them as I was reading about them. Yeah. It blurs the edges a lot. And, and uh, yeah, and I think that that was his kind of goal was to take outlandish stories and tell them in a way that, you know, the reader kind of almost has to believe them, even though he might not want to a little bit more about what this book is about it's uh if you've caught or if you've read or caught our review on stranger will this book is kind of its polar opposite where stranger will was about a parent that didn't want its child this is the uh the story of uh, several people actually who um who weren't wanted by their parents and kind of their search for validation or in jackson's case the search for validation that a parent or a mother isn't important enough to you know to seek out 
Yeah, going <laughs> Caleb going back to that thread of his of uh, of the relationship between uh, children and their parents and stuff like that. You want to talk a little bit about the individual characters? Um, sure. Uh, Jackson, as we mentioned, he's our narrator and our uh, hero or anti-hero, whatever, however you look at it in the story. Um, he is a uh, storyteller extraordinaire. Uh, he um, is kind of a slacker, at least the impression that I got. And uh, he has this friend who, <laughs> through the course of the book, you're never really sure how he feels about the, this friend. Um, they're, they're friends, but they're friends in that kind of very strained uh, way. And uh, as the synopsis said, he decides to um, seek out a mother that's looking for her son to prove uh, to prove that you know having a mother isn't all it's cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. Then he's got a buddy named Craig, who um, the, is Jackson's trying to prove Craig wrong. Uh, and Craig had been uh, abandoned by his mother when he was young. His mother had left. Uh, he the story Craig knows is that his mom had left to go be uh, a star in Mexican soap operas. So. In his search for her, he sits in front of the TV all day long watching Mexican soap operas and taking notes about the shows he's seeing and trying to match up these people in these soap operas with who could be his moms. He's trying to find her that way. It's it's really weird and obsessive, but uh, he's kind of a harmless character, and he makes a living, uh, well, I guess in trade for sitting around a laundromat all day watching TV. Um, he does what's called... I think they called it reverse marketing or advertising or something where uh, he goes around and vandalizes other <laughs> laundromats in order to, to keep um, Louisa's laundromat in business. And that's the one that he sits around all day and watch TV in. Yeah. And, and probably the, <laughs> my favorite in that old book is just Craig's story and just his kind of demeanor and everything is just fantastic. <laughs> He's a cool character. Um, talk a little bit, I mean, I guess we have to mention as an important, although not necessarily a character that's, that's in the book, you know, a, a lot doesn't appear in the book quite a bit is, but Kevin's mom, um, she's the catalyst for this. She's been running ads in newspapers all across the country, um, looking for her son, Kevin with pleas for him to, uh, to come home, um, you know, after years of having, uh, left, left the family. So, uh, true. Like I said, the catalyst for the whole story is, is her, her ad in the paper that, that uh, Jackson sees and decides to, uh, to drunkenly, um, make a phone call to accidentally actually the first time. (laughs) And then as, uh, as it said in the synopsis, it kind of turns into a road trip. He travels cross country and along the way he meets just a few other random characters like, uh, this guy called Robert, the bodybuilder, who's just... (laughs) A really bad seed and and um, not a good guy to be around and he he ends up hooking up quite often with this kind of criminal element or element of just kind of bad or scummy people along the way the other character worth mentioning is Marion Garza there's a story that he amongst the other stories that Jackson tells throughout throughout this book this is like the reoccurring story that we follow like through the course of the book as he's telling it to a number of people uh, and uh Marion's just this real badass guy who uh, has a mangled ear, and you know he tells people it, it came from boxing, um, which isn't true. But it's it's kind of the the reoccurring story that the Jackson tells throughout the course of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's a several characters that come and go. I mean, as he travels, you know, from one from point A to point B, you know, obviously he hits on people as he goes, and just you know, they're here and they're gone. But um, those are the big ones, and it's. <laughs> It's definitely a uh, colorful group of people. Everybody's got their quirks and their 
and the the extremes they go to and stuff like that. Yeah, the very very quirky characters line the the story of this book, and a lot like we said um, previously when we were talking about Donald Ray Pollock's books, um, the side stories are just equally as entertaining as kind of the main narrative. Yeah, for sure. That's the thing. Caleb does a great job in this of of making everything seem interesting um, from these little little like uh, tales or yarns or urban kind of legends he he builds up through the uh, the storytelling of of Jackson to just little facts and conversations. Like the dialogue is really quippy and cool, and everything he does is really colorful. He doesn't really leave any any kind of slow moments, and I like that a lot. Oh yeah, the pace is definitely very, very solid in this book. I mean, there. Yeah, you're right. It it moves along at a good pace, and it's not at all dull in any given part. Mm-hmm. And it feels really. I wasn't expecting this because, um, well, I didn't really know what to expect going into reading this book. But it's got a very road trippy feel because it's definitely like um, the characters traveling to to this um, this will reading that was mentioned in the synopsis, and so he goes across country and along the way picks up people that he travels with and drops people that he travels with. And there's a lot of, a lot more adventure in this book than I was expecting, which I really liked. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. Like I said, it's kind of hard to put together from a, from a story standpoint. I mean, there's a definite story there, but I think it's really made up of a series of stories and, and it's like you said, the, the road tripping and, and the different people he encounters really make this book what it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to spoil anything, so there's a lot of really cool stuff, like the stuff that I'd like to talk about. We really can't, but I just want to mention that, you know, um, <laughs> the weirdness of the book and the strange characters and everything made it more difficult to kind of see where the story was going. But um, I got I, as time went along and it kind of started going in the direction that I was hoping it would, I would get, I felt more and more, you know, I liked it better and better. And so there was a, a very rewarding outcome kind of at the end that I, I was really happy with. Yeah, I have to agree with you. There was definitely no no seeing where where this was going. You, know, you said you was you were hoping it was going in a certain direction. I couldn't even figure out what that direction was, but I was kind of happy <laughs> with it when when I got there. So, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and really, that's the most that we could probably say about the story itself. I mean, what it's got going for it is that it's just like we said, great pace, very interesting story, colorful characters, and uh, to me. And this is no slight against the book Stranger Will. I mean, you can see a lot of growth between those two two books. Obviously, they're def- they're different animals for sure, and they each have their own um, you know merits and stuff like that. But there's a lot of a lot of growth. I, I really like this book. I'm really I like the direction that Caleb's moving in. Yeah, and and then there are it's it's very different in the style. The 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 story narrative is very different, I think, too. But yeah, there are some similarities. Again, you know, we mentioned a little bit earlier about the Caleb's thread of of family ties, and that's definitely revisited in this one in in maybe a slightly different way than in Stranger Will. But it seems like he's got a pretty good grasp on on kind of the family emotion, and it really it really comes through in this, much like it did in Stranger Will. Yeah, Caleb really knows how to write those human moments. Like we were talking about in Stranger Will with the uh, that little kid. Yes. Um, and I mean, talk about a well of emotion right there. And he he knows how to bring that to stories. So uh, that was definitely evident in this too. Cool. You ready to do some quotes? Let me pull out my <coughs> Kindle. <laughs> Still no Nook, huh? No, I've been checking the mail, and uh, no <laughs> no Nooks yet. 
Uh, you want to kick it off or should I? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and throw this one out. This needs absolutely no prefacing. So, Old women spend years watching gardening shows and years more cultivating dirt, like they're prepping for their own eternal stay, and I'm asked to be on par with that. So. Nice. <laughs> I want to start with one, actually, a character we didn't talk a lot about, but I thought had a lot of grounding, and, and well, at least it was good to see where the character of Jackson got a lot of his philosophies and life thoughts from was uh, his uncle. What was his uncle's name? Merle? Marv. 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 Uncle Marv. Uh, and this is a quote that uh, Uncle Marv's talking to, to Jackson at one point, and I liked it a lot. I've spent most of my adult life in the checkout lane waiting to pay for Kleenex, and once you buy a box, you've got to keep buying more. And he was basically talking about, you know, watching people die and, and going through all that kind of thing and aging and everything. I thought it was really cool and, and an interesting way to kind of illustrate his point. Very, very true. I agree. And Uncle Marv, I guess we didn't really talk about him. But yeah, there was there was some really good stuff there. Um, hey, you know, <clears throat> I mentioned, uh, and I guess we can do this real quick here because I'm going through my notes and I have stuff just ragtagged in here. Hey, Johnny Truant, is that the name of the character in House of Leaves? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and then, of course, I looked up because I thought maybe there's another Johnny Truant, but there's like a like a British metal band or something. So I'm thinking that was probably a shout-out to House of Leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I'm sure it was. Which I thought was very cool. Do you want to mention the other uh, kind of cool shout-out in, in the book? I, I actually have it bookmarked. Yeah, I can... Um... <laughs> I, I got done reading this section, and uh, I, I was going to hold off until we talked in prep for the show, but, um, I couldn't wait. And earlier today I texted Livius, did you get that? Uh, did you get that one moment? And he replied, yes. And here's what it is stapled to the far wall. Okay. I'm going to set this up a little bit first. So, um, Jackson in his travels, um, like we had said, um, was talking about body part museums and stuff like that. So there's a scene where he's actually in one of these places and he's trying to, to sell something in order to make some money to be able to fund his road trip. And um, so he's walking through this this museum, and this is one of his observations. Stapled to the far wall, illuminated by three refrigerator bulbs, hangs a kidney donated by a woman named Jude, who stuck around only long enough to wash her hands and collect her small fee. So if you're either a fan of just utterly fantastic literature or you've listened to more than two episodes of uh, the book podcast, uh, that is definitely a reference to Kiss Me, Judas by Will Christopher Bear. You didn't catch that all on your own. That's pretty fantastic, and it was so overt, um, but it it didn't stick out. I thought he did a great job of that. Yeah, and it it fit very well into the story, like you said. But it's also kind of fan fictiony. Does it? Does that tell us what happened to Phineas's kidney? Is that what that is? Is that where it ended up? I uh, yeah, that's what I took from it. Like this is Caleb's idea of what happened. Yeah. All right. And this then this I do have another quote, but I want to throw in another <laughs> as I'm going through. I didn't before we started recording the episode, didn't actually go through my bookmark stuff. And as I'm seeing stuff, it's bringing stuff back to to mind. OK, I probably haven't had a moon pie in 10 years until I was reading 46 uh, percent of the way into the book. I'd stopped <laughs> at a at a dollar store. <laughs> And got a got a soda and was going through their snack section and saw moon pies. So I was like, I think I'll have a moon pie. And I literally was eating a moon pie when he mentions it 46% of the way into the book. Nice. It was just a little creepy because not only is he refer- making references to, you know, Kiss Me Judas and, uh, and House of Leaves, but to my eating habits apparently as well. <laughs> and I'm going to go with my, uh, my last quote here. 
This town is too small not to notice one of its own escaping, so when I come to a local resident walking a dog or jogging or sitting on a porch, I wave and smile in ways strangers never could. Smiles are like the underground railroad through small towns. Yeah, I remember that one. That was good. I've got two more. Uh, This first one is just uh, Jackson's kind of reflecting to himself some wise words. To fool a person out of spite is to fool yourself. To fool a person out of pleasure is, I don't remember how it goes, <laughs> which is great because I can't tell you how many times I do that to myself where I'm like, wasn't there this saying? And I can't remember the whole thing. Uh, and I've got another quick one. I think this is his description of his uncle Marv, actually, and Livius can back me up on this, but I just like the way he stated it. He's got a face like Bat Boy, nothing but teeth and angles. Was that Uncle Marv? Maybe it was. Yeah, but I, I did like the reference, the Bat Boy. At any and in, uh, this won't make sense to the li- to the listeners, but if you think about Bat Boy, that's mostly in um, you know those tabloid newspapers and stuff, which kind of plays a part at a different part in the story. Yeah, I and I especially like that because when I was in probably my late teens, I used to pick up the World Weekly News every week to read for just entertainment uh. purposes. I never, no, I never bought into <laughs> any of it, but I just thought some of those stories, if you actually read them, were so well written and so imaginative. Yeah. That those fiction writers probably could have uh, cut their chops a little better, you know, writing short stories or, or you know, or novellas or something instead of those articles. But some of them are just they, they were funny in that way that they, they were funny if you understood they weren't true. I know there are certain people that, you know, if it goes in print or on the Internet, they buy it as fact. But uh, so it was nice to read a little bit about, you know, that type of that type of journalism. I, I don't know what you call it. But. <laughs> um, yeah, I call it something. It's probably quick money. It's probably quick and reliable money, if nothing else. <clears throat> All right. Do you want to uh, to start the wrap-ups? Yeah, I'd be happy to. All right. Caleb Ross delivers another um, family or lack of family tale um, with a very, very interesting story and someone pretending to be someone else's son. Um, like, you know, we've said ad nauseum, very quirky characters, a very interesting road trip. Um, quite a few uh, literary references or references to things that uh, that play very, very well in the book. Um, much like Stranger Will, I thought the writing was just absolutely top-notch, and uh, I'm going to go with four and a half stars on this one. All right. Um, yeah, I'll make this quick. I agree with pretty much everything Livia says. Um, Caleb crafts a good story. He gives us, um, you know some good conflicts and needs and wants and stuff. Uh, gives us some really good colorful characters. Pacing's fantastic. Practically everything in the book is interesting and, and unique sounding. Um, yeah, it was a, it was well done. And then I liked it a lot. Um, I'm going to give it three and a half. And since that's a full star lower (laughs) than what Livius is giving out, I feel like I have to justify myself going by the Goodreads. Um, star rating system three stars as i liked it four stars as i really liked it and i feel like yeah i did fall right between liked it and really liked it so that's why i'm going with three and a half stars very cool are we ready to move on to as a machine in parts yeah um i'll read the synopsis for you mitchell a 20 something cougar cub with a midlife girlfriend named Marsha, wakes each morning living an ever-broadening line between human and machine as his literal condition progresses, he loses his capacity for human emotion and potentially Marsha. As a machine in parts is the story of Mitchell's struggle to discover which assembly line he belongs to. 
What makes As a Machine and Parts especially unique is the way it integrates illustrative elements to render the story beyond the con conventional textual style. As Mitchell morphs from human to machine, the text changes with him, evolving or devolving from a handwritten style to a typed style and ultimately to a schematic diagram. Throughout, the page reflects Mitchell's change, immersing the reader into the text in ways that traditional storytelling cannot. All right, this is a very weird, weird story. So I said quirky for the last one. This one's just flat out weird. Um, yeah, it follows a guy who's slowly becoming a machine and not through a course of surgeries or anything else like that, but through um, just he wakes up with more parts every morning. Mm -hmm. So some of the main characters, um, Mitchell, he's the one that's turning into a machine. Marsha is his girlfriend. She's a factory worker and, uh, and uh, I think the best way to describe their, they're not like white trashy people, but they're, you know, your basic. All right. <laughs> they're white trashy people. All I'm right. going to say it. I'm pretty sure they're white trashy people. Your basic blue collar, white trashy people. I'd say <laughs> Eric is uh Marsha's son who is actually Mitchell's age, and that causes a lot of friction between him and Mitchell. Uh, and he's kind of a go-nowhere, disgruntled type of kid. And I'll let you talk about Ferret. <laughs> Ferret is <laughs> arguably the most uh, eclectic character in the story, even though you got a guy who's turning into a machine. Um, he's Eric and Marsha, uh, their neighbor, who does taxidermy and then modifies dead animals with things like wheels and weapons and like animatronics. <laughs> so um, he he kills animals when he can't find dead ones, although he has a network of people that phoned him into him. Yeah, so Ferret is just a weird, interesting character. And <laughs> throughout the story, I mean, like he's he's not by any means like one of the main characters, but he there's always crazy stuff happening when he's involved. Like he's driving them somewhere, and uh, a deer runs out in front of the truck, and he swerves to hit it so he can use it in one of his. Uh, his weird taxidermy experiments and stuff like that. He's a goofy dude. You know, you bring up a good point, not necessarily just about this book, but you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit and I didn't mean to be Kevin. You've got a couple of choices when, when you go with, with a book, you can either have a really, really strong main character, which is great. But if you have enough of a good supporting cast of characters like ferret or uncle Marv in the previous book and some of his, uh, his kind of road crony friends, um, you can really deliver a great story. You don't always have to have, you know, the most brilliant main character. Uh, the the supporting cast can sometimes really make a book. Yeah, I I fully agree with that. And he actually does a good job in this book of of giving a lot of the spotlight kind of equally between the characters. There's there's a section that focuses on Eric. There's a section that fo focuses on Marsha. So it's not just from the perspective of this guy that's turning into a machine. It's everybody who he kind of affects or, you know, like has, has some sort of influence in their life. Let's touch a little bit on a uh, man turning into machine. Um, Max Berry, we reviewed machine man here um, on the show. And let's talk a little bit about the differences and why this isn't anything like machine man. Um, first of all, let's just say that uh, Caleb mentioned this to us nine months ago. I think it was pretty long before machine man was was uh, was close to publication at least so uh, we know it didn't come from that necessarily yeah and really there's only one similarity between the two books and it's that you know you've got a main character that you know is is at various stages of being part machine and part man otherwise you know everything about him is different their motivations 
what happens to them, where they started, where they finish, all that. It's it's night and day. Not night and day, but there's it's fully different. Well, yeah, Mitchell doesn't necessarily want to become a machine. He's trying to hold on to his humanity. Where um, I, the name escapes me, but the main character in Machine Man, um, it's his mission to become a machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we touched on it a little bit, and then it's probably the most standout part of the book is the way that it's formatted and the way that it was created. Is as as time goes by, it goes from a handwritten type of text to typed to. Uh, more of like a schematic type of feel. And and having talked to Caleb about it before, uh, I guess he was kind of explaining his process. And if I weren't so lazy, I probably would have put some of that into this episode where he talked about it. But the process where he had written, I mean, obviously he wrote it, but then he had to map out how it was going to look and then make it happen. So I have to imagine that the process of actually making it lay out on the page the way it did was really difficult, and it, but it came off really nice. One of the brilliant parts wasn't just the transition, you know, the transition from man to machine as we're, we're seeing this is, is done very well. But one of the cool things that he did, and it's, I don't know, I don't know anything about how books are printed, so I'm sure they're not typeset this way or anything. They're probably just printed off a regular printer, I would imagine now. But um, it, there's some like smeared blurry text kind of in the background that I thought was just fantastic because those, at least from each part that I noticed, was like, what Mitchell could hear other people saying about whatever the situation was. So it's kind of blurry and like set in the background of the page, kind of hard to explain without you seeing it. But I thought that was just kind of some genius stuff there. Yeah. It adds another layer of um, context, I'd say to what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, he easily could have said Mitchell overheard someone saying something, but it's just delivered in such a way that you more like feel it. You know, when I was reading that, I could picture like when you overhear other people talking about things like I've had that real feeling of that versus just hearing that someone is, you know, that reading that someone is saying it. That makes right. Sense. Yeah. Because visually it even represents that by being blurry and kind of off in the distance, but kind of mixed in with what's going on and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about our other favorite part of the book? <laughs> yeah, the whole book isn't laid out the exact same way. In different sections, there's different things going on. And there's one section that's, um, the entire thing is comprised of text that is footnoted from other other books. And it's a total of 180 different footnotes um, referencing, you know, 180 different parts of different books and stuff like that. And, and within those 180, there's a bunch of people that, you know, are familiar names to us and names that we've mentioned before. Uh, you want to hit the list? All right. Here's going to be some of the, uh, some of either the more interesting ones or, you know, the, the people who we've mentioned here before. Um, Caleb actually quotes uh, a couple of his own works. Um, we've got uh, quotes in here from uh, Chuck Palahniuk, um, Will Christopher Bear, Stephen Graham Jones. Um, <laughs> probably the best one in his, uh, an email from Gordon Highland. It's not even an actual uh, book, but it's footnoted. And the funny thing about that one, to cut in really quickly, uh, is that it's paraphrased. It's not even an exact quote from the email. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. And then, and then there's other stuff, and there's stuff you just wouldn't imagine. So I have no idea how he went about this, but there's, um, you know, Amy Tan, Andy Warhol, uh, Charles Dickens, um, who's the other one? Mary Higgins Clark, mm-hmm. you know, another Clive one. Cussler. Yeah, you wouldn't expect to see, you know, in this. And then just a whole bunch of people. I have no idea who they are. Lawrence Block, which, by the way, I actually like that, the the Hit Man series. That's also quoted in here from Hit List. 
Yeah. It's really cool because like it's a it's a it's like a Frankenstein. Um, I mean, it makes perfect sense. The text is laid out and it makes perfect sense, but it's stitched together from all these other books and stuff. And it was really cool. And I have to wonder, did he start out with the text and then go search for the quotes or did he find the quotes and piece them together into a text? What kind mm-hmm. of a mix? Of I think two? you'd have to go with the second one. But yeah, I think you'd have to. Yeah, it'd be really hard to do it the other way. Yeah. Well, who knows? Um, but yeah, it's it's four pages and it's spaced out a little bit. But yeah, it's every single word basically is is from another from another book. Kind of plagiarism, isn't it? I guess if you footnote it, it's not. no. If you yeah, that's what it's all about. Right. Footnoting. I wonder in the thought maybe we have another story on our hands for plagiarism. But no. now if he was taking, I know clever. right, just just clever footnoting. Yeah, if, yeah. If he was taking full sections of it, he would have to credit it in the copyright page. But just since he's footnoting it, it's just making no reference. He's fine. Cool. I said that as if I knew what I was talking about. You did. I totally. I, and it, <laughs> that's the whole thing. You just have to say it with confidence, and people will believe it. That's right. <laughs> Do you have any quotes from this? I actually I took down a couple quotes that I like. You know what? I didn't, and here's why: because of the formatting of the book, we actually uh, have paper copies of this book and um, noting in analog is so three years ago. It really is. Like, uh, to be completely honest, I really just remembered. <laughs> what I wanted and then I went back and looked for it when we were putting the notes together and th- thankfully I found them because it's only like a 90 page book or so so it wasn't a lot of stuff to dig through but I do have some quotes and I'll give them out really quickly did you happen to look at them on the document um you know what uh, no all right you're gonna yes. like these yes I did and actually if I was <laughs> gonna note one it's that first one that you've got there this first one I just like a lot um and it, it doesn't really need any prep or anything like that last night I dreamt of Twinkies it was my job to inject the cream filling. I think it was a wet dream. It's just brilliant. And it, the thing I like about it the most is that's probably the exact kind of thought you would have if you were slowly turning into a robot. Yeah, I, for for the book having a really goofy premise, again, he pulled it off in a in a pretty realistic kind of way, like you said. That makes perfect sense if you can buy that someone's turning into a machine. Exactly. Now, these next two quotes, I don't really even know, like, I can't, obviously can't go into, like, the, what I think they mean on a deeper level, because we're not spoiling the book and what happens in it or anything, but there was these two quotes, and I only realized when I was taking them down that they had anything to do with each other, because I found the second one thinking, oh, this is it, when I realized it wasn't it, so I found the other one. Um, The first quote I'm going to give is from the perspective of a factory worker that um, Marsha works with. And they're just having this conversation. Uh, She had been injured and uh, was just getting back to work. And this is toward the end of the book. Um, And he says to her, there's really only two levels in all of creation, God and everything else. Which I thought was, you know, pretty philosophical and cool and everything like that. Um, But at a different part in in the book, I think this is from the perspective of a coffee machine. Not 100% sure. Uh, (laughs) But it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you should never be really 100% sure when you say something like, I think this is from the perspective of a coffee machine. <laughs> it's definitely in a section that's, um, it, it looks like a user manual for something. It's kind of how it's laid out. And it's got a, a picture of a coffee machine below it with like the little one, two, three, four, five with like the points coming to it and like a, a legend with what the points mean and everything. But there's this one part. And I think it's the coffee machine talking. And the quote goes, in a two level hierarchy, we are the same one step below God. But of course, you will not settle for two levels, so you create a third. God, human, tool. We do not mind. We are not programmed to mind, after all. 
So I thought that was a unique twist on uh, his original idea, which actually the, the coffee machine one came first, but I feel like, you know, it's an evolution of the same idea, right? adding in the perspective of the, the tool itself and how it fits into that kind of hierarchy. Um, there were some machines, um, as Rob just indicated, talking through one course of the book. And it was, again, one of my favorite parts of it. I mean, it was just uh, very interesting to hear machines' perspectives on things. When I say machines, these aren't, like you, know, you said, they're not, they're not programmed robots. You know, they're just what machines would think or say to one another mm-hmm. you know, while being used by humans. And in those machine parts, in those sections where they t- – in the sections of the book that include machines – Machine parts is, sounds weird. Um, there's elements of talking about families. So there's Caleb goes, even when he's talking about uh, coffee machine assembly lines and stuff, he works family into there somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was just thinking about his story in Warmed and Bound, which was really fantastic, too. Oh, with the kid and the train tracks? Yep. Yeah. I like Caleb. I like the way he writes. Yeah. Look forward to more family stuff with Caleb. <laughs> gonna have like a new version of the Cosby show written by him <laughs> where, where Rudy is a pop, cop, popcorn popper I don't know <laughs> okay <laughs> Do um, you, wanna... you, you start the wrap up this time alright cool <laughs> as a machine in parts is a unique book it's got a unique layout and it's definitely got a unique um, story and the way the plot goes. I liked it. I liked the work he did and I liked the the way that he used his unique layout to help tell the story and not just make it look cool or different or something like that. I'd say it's not as easy to grasp as your typical like Stranger Will or I didn't mean to be Kevin, but at the same time, you know, it's supposed to be a little bit more involved and more in the lines of like an ergodic literature where you actually do have to do a little work in order to understand what's going on. And uh, with all that in mind, I liked it a lot, and I'm going to give it the same rating I gave to I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin. I'm leaving this one with a three-and-a-half star rating. All right. Not um, a ton to say after what Rob said. I um, just want to touch on it again. This is a book that certainly, um, you know, there's a reason it's only available in paper. And like I said, if you, uh, if you ever get a chance to see it, um, there's really some special stuff that goes on in the pages in the layout of the book. So. For that alone, it's um, it's worthy of being on your bookshelf because um, there's this and then there's House of Leaves and then that's it. I don't think there's anything else that's visually as appealing um, out there in book form. Raw so, shark text. Uh, raw shark text, but for like two parts in the book. I mean, okay. it's very little in, in the way of, you know, in, in the way of this. So or in the way of whatever I'm trying to say. <laughs> All right. So that being said, um, yeah, definitely some work. Um, actually, it's funny because I, I don't even read the synopsis for books that we just know we're going to review. So after reading the synopsis, I was like, man, if I just wish I would have read the synopsis ahead of time, because it would have made it a lot easier to figure out what was going on with Mitchell in the beginning. So that was a little muddy for me um, to start off. But, um, you know, that coupled with machine conversations and a uh, and a whole section that's uh, that's footnoted from other books. Uh, I'm going to go with four stars. I really liked it. Cool. Thanks, Caleb, for, for giving us the opportunity to read these cool books. We're definitely looking forward to more stuff from you in the future. Yeah, let me throw out a couple of quick things before we move away from Mr. Ross. Um, this book can be on your bookshelf at an Amazon cost of about 12 bucks. And like I said, it's a, it's a pretty enough book that it merits a spot on your bookshelf, in my opinion. 
And if you have a Kindle, you can pick up I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin for a very, very reasonable $2.199 on Kindle. So, Wow. Um, Caleb will also be at that uh, St. Louis Noir at the bar February 28th. He's one of the people that's going to be doing reading that night. And I, uh, at least I, I think I'm hoping to get down there if, if, if even if Livius isn't able to go. So happen to be in the area, I would definitely encourage you to check it out. If you have to live in the area, Rob would like a place to sleep. Yeah. If you happen to need a ride up to AWB the next day, I'll be heading that direction. <laughs> um, and uh, AWP, Caleb will also be at AWP signing my book. Damn it. <laughs> That's right. We'll be dogging him, hunting him down. All right. And before we stop blathering about Caleb J. Ross, um, guess who popped his uh, his Dutch head up to um, <laughs> throw a little something in on this? It's uh, our own correspondent from the Netherlands, Malaz Corbier, with this little bit about Mr. Ross. Hello, ladies and gents. Here is a wonderful idea for you. Buy the original Extra Special Caleb J. Ross bundle deal from Amazon. You'll find it consists of as a machine and parts, I didn't mean to be Kevin, character pieces, and murmurs. Buy them all and it will cost you less than 14 quid. I don't know what it is in silly dollar money to be honest, but just bear with me for a bit. If you like what you've just read, and why wouldn't you, you could show your appreciation to Mr. Ross in the following way. For another 14 pounds sterling, you could buy The Knitter's Book of Socks, The Yarn Lover's Ultimate Guide to Creating Socks That Fit Well, Feel Great and Last a Lifetime, written by Clara Parks. Send it to him, as he's been freezing his toes off for far too long now. Cheers very much. All right. Thanks again, Malaz. Glad we could have another Malaz Minute on the show. He took some time away from writing about Octopi to tell us a little bit about Caleb Ross. So, as always, thanks to our lovely correspondent from the Netherlands, Malaz Corbier, who now you can find on Books about us page if you want to learn a little more about him yeah and it's always it's always so enlightening i always learn something from the malaz minutes isn't that isn't that just something yeah this time footwear yeah i do i do have to i do have to say this that when i saw that you posted that i was like man rob's got to be really bored with reading because he just went and updated the book page and added malaz <laughs> about us that was my first thought when i saw that on facebook um yeah that part that but part that like you know as the as my list of obligations toward Malaz, you know, grows, I feel like I have to knock off one or two just to keep him happy. So I knocked that out really quick so that I could uh, delay him on some other stuff he asked me for. <laughs> All right, let's move on a little bit here. Sounds good. And um, this is the week where uh, another friend of Caleb's, actually Pablo Destair. Um, where we uh, cast our vote on the Out of Bullets Throw the Gun um, Crime Noir Fiction Challenge. That's right. We finished reading the collections. We've got a little bit to say about some more of the stories, and we're going to tell you which collection we voted for and our top three stories in that collection. If you haven't yet, you've still got some time. You've got until the end of the month, so you can uh, pause this episode, go download um, both of these collections for free from Smashwords, um, and then you can cast your own vote, but uh, we're going to go ahead and do so right now. That's right. How do you want to do this? We didn't talk about this ahead of time. Um, well, let's do this. Um, in order to pick the top three stories, we have to say what collection it was. So we'll cast our vote for the collection, our unanimous vote for the collection. Spoiler alert, we both voted <laughs> on the same one. And then we'll just take turns talking about which one our favorite stories. We'll roll up from three to one. How's that sound? I like it. Let's do that. 
So the collection we unanimously chose was collection B. And I will go as far as to say collection B by quite a bit on my end. Like there was really no, I didn't really have to think about it as I was finishing up collection B. It was a very easy decision for me. And I think after we, we give our votes, I'm going to, I'm going to defend some of the stories in collection A, which I liked a lot, but uh, to, yeah, that'll be a little bit later. I don't plan on assaulting any of them. Well, I'm going to defend collection A by mentioning some of the good ones that I liked. How's that? Very well. All right. What's your number three? My number three. They followed Christoph Sloth. Um, it's this story about this guy who uh, thinks he's being followed by uh, by three women. Uh, three women together. A group of three women are, are, are a truck. perhaps following him. Yes. Yeah, a truck full of three women. Yes. Number three for me. Doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. I don't really know where that name comes from, but it's essentially a guy who's talking to his friend, and his friend convinces him how great it is to <laughs> hook up with a prostitute, and this one prostitute, and in, in sp- specifically, and then and the more they talk about it over you know x amount of time, the more the guy starts becoming convinced that he wants to do this until he actually does. Um, so yeah, I thought it was really that uh, was a good story. Um, my number two is called Yellow is the Color of My True Love's Hair in the Morning. Um, this is a very odd story about a man who steals um, a neighbor woman's clothes. That's all I'm going to say on that one. But I uh, really, really like that one. And it was very, very, it was, it was tough to pick between this story and my number one. My number two is a story called A Public Ransom, where... There's this guy who does some this urban art project kind of thing and forgets about it, but then kind of as he's going through town, remembers is remember is reminded of it in a in an interesting way, and it unfolds in an interesting way. So I thought it was really cool. This is a note of interest. I know we're only voting on three, but I did have that listed as, as number four because that was a really you know, that was really close between that and my number my number three. Probably one of the weirder stories. Definitely weirder, but yeah, it had all the elements of a really cool, like, mystery thriller kind of feel. Yep. And then my number one uh, may not be a surprise to anybody who listened to the episode that we had Pablo on. Um, Scary story to tell in the dark, number 684. And uh, as I said before, this is kind of a take on the the stranger calling somebody from in the house. And still, I still am thinking about that story weeks later, weeks after I read it. And my number one story is going to be Livius's number two. Yellow is the color of my true love's hair in the morning. Great, great, great creepy stalker um, story with a <laughs> really cool kind of ending. Not the not the ending I was expecting, which I thought made it a little bit better. Isn't it always better that way though? When you get a yeah, when you get a surprise, surprise. So would you would you like up from collection A? All right, I was looking back and forth at Collection A. There's a story called The Sad End of Ernest Winthorpe, which I thought was kind of more of a humorous one. Uh, there's this guy who keeps trying to kill himself and, and failing, and, and the uh, you know, it's kind of a goofy. And then there's kind of a parallel. There's these two chess players, and, it, and it, the story makes it look like, you know, that they're God playing with this guy's life. And, it, and I just like the way it was laid out. I will agree with you. I'm going to chime in a little bit that other than the Phil Collins mention in uh, in One More Night, uh, which I say jokingly, um, that was probably my favorite collection in, in Story A. 
That or oh. another one. But... A little bit of red, sir, was a great story. I don't know if you remember, is that the student who uh, was like a girl and she had had a night with uh, this other girl but had killed her. Do you remember that? I do. Absolutely. Uh, I thought that was great. I thought, again, I'm I'm a sucker for the obsession stories for some reason. I really thought of Jude for some reason. I know that she came up in uh, in one of the other ones, but that something about the, the woman in that story reminded me of Jude. Yeah, kind of cold and calculating. Um, and then another one that I thought was just funny was Candle. And it's about a guy who's a getaway driver and he gets duped by this old guy. It's uh, it's just comic, very comic. But, you know, and then as we were casting our votes, Livius, it occurred to me that you might be onto something here because this is like a crime, crime noir contest. Mm-hmm. And really scary stories to tell in the dark kind of fits like the the basic mold of what we're looking at, like a like a crime mystery kind of thing. Um, same with yellow hair. Yellow is the color of my true love's hair, that one. So um, I think you're on the right track. Mine I chose just personally what I like the best, but as far as like fitting into the genre, I think more on along your lines, I think you're right. Um, so I say both of them are enjoyable, but Collection B just, just pulled away. Um, you know, I was tied after the first five when we were reading them before, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, as I read on, um, Collection B just moved further and further away. Now, here's the question. Do you know which one? I mean, obviously we don't know which one Pablo wrote, but can you guess which one Pablo wrote? What would your guess be? If I had to guess, I would have to say um, two, Collection B. Sorry, not two, Collection B. Um, I've never read anything by Pablo, so obviously I've read at least 12 of Pablo's stories now, but never read anything prior to that. And uh, something about writing style, um, because if he's not Collection B, then he did a really good job of of changing his voice from story to story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Collection A does seem like it's a little more scattered, a little more diverse. B does seem a little bit more, not themed, but, um, you know, yeah. So so there you go. We're going to be emailing those in shortly, as should you, um, if you've participated. Again, it's, a, it's fun. They're free reads. Uh, God, the whole thing may take you an hour to read through, hour and a half tops um, for both of them. And, yeah, free reads are cool. Yeah, free and fun. There's definitely some stuff that's in that's worth it that's in there for sure. All right, I'm going to let you do this next part because I just know how enthused you are about it. All right, absolutely. So probably the most exciting thing that's happened to us uh, since our last episode is that... We- <laughs> we- <laughs> Damn it, I can't do it with a straight face. Um, we guest hosted, both of us, Livius and I, guest hosted... The Fat Nape movie podcast with uh, Dan Hines and Joe Hammer. Um, the reason that we were on there was because the Girl with Dragon Tattoo, the American version movie, came out. And since Livius and I had both read the book and both seen the Swedish version of the movie, thought it'd be a great opportunity to sit down with the guys over at Fat Nay and do a movie review and, and lend them some of our, our book knowledge when it comes to that story. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely good to see how the other side lives. I was on Fat Nate previously, but it was uh, it was nice for both of us to go over there and, and just see what what it could be like if um, if we did movie reviews and did them like Fat Nate does. It was a interesting experience. I, uh, I I didn't feel like we were sucking the energy out of that show as much as I thought we would. I thought we did bring a nice <laughs> energy to it. <laughs> I guess it's up to the listeners to make their mind about it. But uh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we haven't heard the finished product yet, so I, I don't know if I, I can't testify to how it's going to sound. But, you know, Livius and I are on there, and we are talking about Stieg Larson and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and we talk a little bit about some other books and stuff. So I think it's worth a listen. What do you? I, I agree wholeheartedly. You should go listen, and you never know. You may find it, uh, like I said, this show is fairly low-key. Um, more often than not, but if you're looking for something a little more upbeat and uh, and you watch or like movies, um, yeah, Fatinee is not a bad way to go. Now, a very, very fair and necessary warning <laughs> when it comes to listening to the Fatinee podcast. Now, Livius and I are pretty laid back. We're pretty calm. We don't get too crazy explicit. We talk about books. You know, sometimes the contents of the books are going to be a little explicit themselves, but um, Fatinee, they're definitely... They're definitely more vulgar, and they definitely approach some more racy subjects. There's a they have a segment where they they review an amateur uh, porn and stuff like that. So uh, if you if you plan on going over there and listening to that, just be aware there's going to be some talk about porn and stuff like that in there. But don't let that deter you because it's still a lot. It was still a lot of fun to do. It's a little less family friendly than the book podcast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> So um, we'll have a link up on our uh, on, on this episode to direct you over there. Um, and uh, hey, if you listen to it, let us know what you uh, what you thought. Either hit us up on Facebook or uh, comment in the in the you know comment section of this episode. Hey, we're not sure exactly when it's going to be going up on their website. So uh, if it's not up by the time this airs or by by the time this goes up on our website, we'll um, we'll make sure we get the link out there at least on Facebook and Twitter, and I'll probably update the posts on the website once that link's available cool stuff all right so next week on booked we've been talking about it for like three or four weeks now but it's uh, finally coming to pass um what we're apparently going to be calling our intro to episodes because no matter how much we begged and pled or thought and schemed um we didn't come up with another with another title so intro to bizarro featuring j david osborne as our bizarro expert um will be our next episode that'll be up next week are we going to talk about the content at all, or are we just going to let that be a mystery? Yeah, it's up to you. We can do it either way. Let's let it be a mystery. What he's trying to say is we really haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> well, we got some interesting... I mean, like, we know some stuff, but that's the kind of stuff that I think we should just talk about at the time. So we'll, we'll let you stew on that for a while. <laughs> yep, and then let's not forget to plug that, um, a, assuming this all goes well... Um, that uh, our next uh, intro to episode should be following up in February. We're going to have Nick Corbin on to talk about Hard Boiled. That's right. That's pretty exciting too, Nick. Uh, we had him on during the Warm to Bound sessions, and he was great. And looking forward to having him back on. And, I mean, dude's a teacher, so I'm sure he'll be teaching us about that. He's just a cool guy. I'd like to have him on before. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. So... Um, that's what's coming up from us. Um, we won't tease any more of the episodes, but I will say this. It's really nice to know that we have our next three episodes plotted out. Not a <laughs> position we're in very often, but it feels pretty goddamn good to be there. That's right. So make sure you go check out and then in the upcoming days, because you don't have much time left, the, uh, the Out of Bullets Throw the Gun contest, cast your vote, read the stories, cast your vote, and uh, participate. I, I, we haven't heard from Pablo since we had him on on to see how the voting's going hopefully he's getting some traction on that but um yeah go help him out get as much get as much voting in as you can while you got the time make him spend some money that's right (laughs) 
Um, all right, some other housekeeping stuff. Stitcher, as we were reminded by our friends over at Fat Nay. Stitcher, the smart way to listen to radio. Um, download it for your iPhone, your the Android. Android, BlackBerry, Zune, I don't know, whatever. Listen from their website or something. But apparently we're required to mention that occasionally. And uh, get us on iTunes, website, Zune Marketplace, anywhere podcasts are sold. That's right. And if you're looking to get in touch with us, you can email bookedpodcast at gmail.com. You can go to bookedpodcast.com, leave a comment somewhere, and we will definitely respond to you. Um, you can get us on Twitter at bookedpodcast, which Livius is breathing life back into. He's performing CPR on uh, a little bit at a time. And yeah, that's about it. Hey, especially contact us if you're interested and have some proficiency in a lesser read genre because we're looking to put together what could be the third and final intro to episode unless this really takes off and then we may do many more. So we're really I don't see why we couldn't do a more red genre like horror or westerns or something like that. I really want to do the Louis L'Amour stuff, huh? Well, as far as we know, he's the only author that's writing westerns or had written westerns. That's what my impression was. So yeah, so cool if we get that guy on. Hey, if you're Louis (laughs) L'Amour, get in touch with us. I think he might be dead. I think he might be dead too, which would make it even cooler if we can get him on the show. Yeah, that's right. The seance spectacular. That's right. So yeah, I mean, if you've got if you've got an idea, hell, if you've just got an idea for something you you'd like for us to read, we're always um, willing to listen. So uh, shoot us an email, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, wherever. Wow, he just said wherever. We really need to wrap this up. I think we do. All right. <laughs> so that is enough of this uh, book review. This awesome Caleb J. Ross spectacular episode of Booked. Uh, I'm Rob Olson, and I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. Life's too short to even care.